Welcome and thank you for listening to the sermon podcast from First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu. Just before this sermon happened in church, everyone was asked to share what superpower they would want to have. It was a fun moment to get to know one another, and it ties into today's sermon. Open your Bible to Matthew chapter 9, verses 1 through 13. Here's First Pres Senior Pastor Dan Chun with the sermon, The Avengers, The Real End Game. I am amazed at how popular the Marvel film series has been, not only in movies, but with all of the TV spinoffs like Agent Carter or Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Anybody watch Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? Okay, two. <laughs> and of course, the many movies of the most popular Marvel heroes, The Avengers. Now, who has seen any Avenger film? Okay. Interesting. Six? No, I don't know. No. So, you know, at the, at the climax of their series, the last movie was called Avengers Endgame. And whether they are Iron Man or Captain America, the Hulk, Thor, Black Widow, Hawkeye, Scarlet Witch, Vision, or the Guardians of the Galaxy, they are all gifted and amazing. And the whole premise is that there is evil in the universe, and certain imperfect people gifted with special powers decide to use these special powers to fight injustice and protect the world, and they call themselves the Avengers. And in a very real sense, each and every one of you have superpowers. Did you know that the day you commit your life to Christ, you are given supernatural gifts? And the Bible says you have supernatural powers, which it calls spiritual gifts, gifts given by God. The Apostle Paul talks of them. He wrote in um, a letter to the Roman church. He said, in his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if, if God has given you the ability to, to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it's giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. So with yourselves, since you are eager for spiritual gifts, strive to excel in them for building up the church. And you are called to use these gifts to build up the church, fight evil, and bring love to this world. So this is part three of our evangelism series called, Where is My Church on Monday? It's all about how are we to live out our faith from Monday to Saturday after we have worshiped on Sunday. I say the end game is to be superheroes. Avengers for God. And in many ways, it is not an exaggeration. Avengers, not so much as revenge or payback, but in the Marvel sense, to respond to the evil that inhabits the world. For even Jesus says, Satan is the prince of this world. And we must take back lost territory and lost people. To recap, last week, we said all of us are ministers to people. 
in our homes, in our offices, in our schools, in our neighborhoods, or to put it a non-religious way, you are called to be superheroes, people with supernatural gifts who bring others to God. And that is what the church is on Monday and beyond. So what do we learn from our scripture today? It will seem circuitous, but in the end, you will see the end game. Here are the four points if you're taking notes. One, Jesus can forgive sins. Two, Jesus loves those who sin. Three, Jesus does all he can to help and heal those who sin. And then four, we are supposed to be serving with Jesus as superheroes. The first part of our passage begins with the great story of Jesus healing a paralytic who was lowered down into his house by his friends. Incredible story. But the real shocking news is that aside from healing the paralytic, Jesus also says to him, your sins are forgiven. That really ticks off the Pharisees because they say only God can forgive sins. And they're right. So boom, right off the bat, the blockbuster truth is that Jesus is God. And the rest of the history of humankind have to deal with it. And people have these options. They can receive it. They can reject it. They could ignore it. Or in the case of the Pharisees, who are the religious leaders of the day, get angry at it. In some sense, evil brews or is nullified by how people respond to Jesus as the truth. Or when they try to reduce his teachings to just a religion of rules. Why should we be telling people about Jesus. Because we have unique information that needs to be shared. And that is, Jesus is God in human form. Greater than Captain America, stronger than the Hulk. Jesus is more divine and perfect than the Norse god Thor, who we saw in the last Marvel movie, became a drunkard with a huge, big beer belly. I hated seeing that scene in the movie. It really wrecked forever my image of the actor Chris Hemworth, who played the God of Thunder. It's a Thor subject for me. (laughs) If you think about all of the major religion founders, Jesus is the only one who says he can forgive sins. He's the only one who says he's God. As I said in my Christmas Eve sermon, Jesus, he's real, you know. God really took on human form and walked this earth to tell us about him and how to live with him on this planet. If that is true, we should be telling the world about him. And when we see great movie series like the Marvel series culminating in Avengers Endgame, Don't we want to tell everybody about it? Even more so than about Chris Pan's famous compression socks. Most of us know that we are not perfect. Actually, I should say, all the people in this room should know they're not perfect. And you may be able to do great things like an Iron Man or Spider-Man or Black Widow or Black Panther, but even if you are a Marvel hero, you know you have flaws. And just by reading the news headlines, we know there is sin and evil in this world. 
And you'd have to be pretty naive or blind not to see that sin permeates the world. When we hear how people are sexually assaulted or when mass shootings happen or when greed takes down a stock market, when oil fields are drone bombed, when 9-11 happens, when a Pennsylvania state senator is arrested for child porn, or here locally when a former HPD police chief and wife are convicted of conspiracy and obstruction of justice, or how people have a hard time following just 10 commandments, just 10. It's obvious that we have a pretty sick society that struggles with sin and doing the right thing, and not science, nor medicine, nor philosophy, nor politics, or a pension plan, or an insurance plan, or social security can bring us a secure system that can truly correct itself in terms of sin. But Jesus says he can forgive our sins, and he gives us ways not to sin. And that's huge news. I mean, most of us, if we are honest, we know we have sin in our lives. We continually battle pride and selfishness and self-centeredness. And we know in our private times, we are not always the best. We are tempted. We have bad thoughts. And those who think they have like zero sin would probably not want God to put on video streaming their thoughts every day and then project it on a screen for everyone to see. We know we're not perfect. But Jesus says, I forgive your sins. And that's huge news. I mean, Jesus used to live on earth, right, for more than 30 years. He knows us. He knows what we're like. He's a creator God who wants to be with us, hang out with us. He's with us all the time, even when we least expect it. In that sense, he's kind of like the, Mar the late Marvel comic book creator, Stan Lee, who had cameo roles in each of the Marvel movies. He kept showing up. Jesus keeps showing up in the history of humankind. He knows our pain and struggles. And the Bible even says he, was, he has been tempted like us, but he never sinned. He was tempted by Satan himself for 40 days in the wilderness, but never fell to that. In a book called Hebrews, it says, for we do not have a high priest, meaning Jesus, who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. So Jesus, the high priest, knows our temptations, our lusts, our greed, though he never gave in to that himself. He saw it, maybe felt it, but he didn't cave in or crave it. But for us who do cave in, he forgives us. And get this, he likes to hang out with sinners like us. With all of our faults and craziness, he likes us and wants to be with us. So point two is that Jesus amazingly loves even those who sin. Yes, God hates sin, but he doesn't hate the sinners. So this is like crazy love. We know this because he goes to a party at Matthew the tax collector's house, and tax collectors were hated in society, and they were the worst. They charged taxes at exorbitant rates, higher than what the Romans were asking for. Then they pocketed the difference, betraying and exploiting their own Jewish people, horrible, 
Yet Jesus ate with these known ripoffs of the people whom the town hated. And he partied so much with the outcasts that the Bible says he was accused of this. The son of man, which is Jesus' favorite term for himself, which showed his alliance with people. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, look, a glutton, a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. For some here, you may have heard, or you were raised as a child believing that God hates sin, and therefore he's angry and hates you. And while it is true that God hates sin, he loves the sinners and he never gives up on them. He loves to hang out with them. He ate with them. He drank with them. Didn't get drunk, but he drank with them and socialized with them. And somehow Matthew, the tax collector, trusted Jesus so much that he asked his other tax collector friends to come and meet him. And that's kind of like a real insight to evangelism that business people should invite business people and athletes should invite athletes and students should invite students and homemakers should invite homemakers to get to know Jesus. These are natural connections. In that sense, we should all be throwing Matthew parties. So these first two points might seem stunning to us, like we're all sinners, yet Jesus forgives us. He loves and attracts and wants to hang out with sinners. The church of Jesus should not condemn sinners, but attract them. And when someone says to me, oh, no, I, 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 can't, I can't go to your church, Dan. I mean, I don't belong. I'm a sinner. I'm, I'm not like those goody two-shoes in, in church. That person doesn't know that the admission ticket for Jesus' church is that you have to be a sinner and admit it. No perfect people here. If you are irreligious, perfect, come on in. If you have blown it morally, great, come on in. That this is the house for sinners, not a museum for saints. Even though we may not like saying we're sinners, but that's pride too. The honest answer is we're all sinners and all are welcome. We all belong. It's not that we're perfect. It's that we really know how bad we are and we've received God's grace. Like the famous hymn, Amazing Grace, that says, I once was blind, but now I see. That Jesus is our hope, and he accepts us. He really loves us. We have strengths, and we have weaknesses. Every Marvel superhero might have a unique superpower, but every one of them has a weakness too. They all have flaws. Iron men are best when they let people get past their iron suits. Black widows are at their best when they don't bite their loved ones with hurtful actions. The third point, Jesus does all he can to help and heal those who sin. Now, in most of this chapter in our Bible passage, we see that Jesus is bombarded with people in need. Starts off with a paralyzed person who... Um, who is physically and spiritually healed. Then Jesus goes to Matthew's party, has a good time, but is barraged with questions, accusations by religious leaders. Then after Matthew's party comes one thing after another, and you're, you're going to see that Jesus is like this pinball, like bouncing off all the different sides. So to continue in our passage, Jesus is talking to some people when, and I'll read it for you in verse 18, a synagogue leader came, knelt before him, and said, my daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her and she will live. 
Jesus got up and went with him, and so did his disciples. And just then, a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up from behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, if only I touch his cloak, I'll be healed. And Jesus turned and saw her and said, take heart, daughter, your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed from that moment. And when Jesus entered the synagogue's leader's house and saw the noisy crowd and people playing pipes, he said, go away. The girl is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took the girl by the hand, and she got up. And news of this spread through all the region. As Jesus went out from there, then two blind men followed him, calling out, have mercy on us, son of God. When he'd gone indoors, the blind men came to him inside the house, I guess, and he asked them, do you believe that I'm able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, let it be done to you. And their faith was restored. Jesus warned them sternly, see that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the news about him all over that region. And while they were going out, now a man who was demon-possessed and could not talk was brought to Jesus, and when the demon was driven out, the man who had been mute spoke, and the crowd was amazed and said nothing like this had ever been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, it is by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. And Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Wow, what a chain of events. I mean, it starts with a young girl is dying, and he heads out. Then a woman with a hemorrhage grabs his robe, and so he heals her. Then he, heal, he gets the girl who is sick, and he has to kick out a crowd who's laughing at him, sarcastic doubters, raises her from the dead. Then two blind men follow him, ask for healing. He heals them, and then a de- demon-possessed person comes up to him. I mean, can it get worse or busier? But he heals them, and then he's heavily questioned and criticized by religious leaders. So you do get this picture that Jesus is like ping-ponging or pinballing back and forth, bump from all sides with people who are in need of healing, but also the good news that Jesus is God. And to top it off, he gets grief from the religious leaders. So a couple quick points. Jesus hates religion. He hates religion that is all about rules and rituals and regulations but is without the relationship with Jesus himself. And that was his problem with the Pharisees, those religious leaders. Notice in the Bible, he never gets mad at sinners. He only got mad at religious people who were into the form and law, but not true faith. They had so many rules that you had to follow to supposedly get close to God but it was all based on works or superstition or stupid rules. And the rules became a way for the religious leaders to hide behind this veil of their greed for money or power. But, and God was right in front of them, Jesus, and yet they couldn't recognize him because of the rules. Jesus hates religion, especially if it hurts people or tries to make money off of them. 
Let me tell you a true story. One day, a TV evangelist and his team rented our facility here. They rented the space through Kotlaw Ballrooms, not through the church, which is the norm for all outside events who want to use our campus. This was even before Daryl Akiyoshi, our general manager, was here. It was a multi-day shoot, and so um, it was a lucrative contract. Uh, As they were filming, one of our staff members heard a so-called evangelist say that if there are widows out there who would give him $5,000 right now, they would have a tremendous blessing from God. So the staff member alerted me, and I couldn't believe it. I mean, that's the kind of Pharisee religion that drives me and Jesus crazy. I mean, taking advantage of widows and promising them that they gave this guy 5000 bucks, they were going to be instantly blessed. So I had a talk with the producer of the show, and I said, um, you know, heard what the guy said, and you can't have that guy... Um, use our facility anymore. It's a kind of religion that I hate. And the televangelist said he was a Christian, but if he, if he is saying that people can buy blessings from God, if he is setting up these false rules and rituals for people to get to God, then he can't speak here again. Well, the company pulled their production, and we lost thousands of dollars, and I didn't care. How do you put a price tag on doing the right thing? I mean, that stuff drives me crazy. Jesus hates religion. I hate that kind of religion. This church hates religion. And when I say religion, it's the kind of belief that if we do something, we will win God's favor and be saved through money or good works or achievement. It's through God's grace alone we are saved. He chose us. And that's the great news that we need to be telling people about Jesus. Don't hide the real Jesus from our friends. Find ways to appropriately tell them he's God. And he wants a friendship with us. That was his word. He says, I'm your friend. And his friendship will enhance our lives. If we were to go to heaven... And we were at the proverbial pearly gates. And Jesus asks us, um, so how many are you bringing with you into heaven? It will be a bummer if we say, none. Well, asks Jesus, did you actually share about me? And we say, well, Not really. I mean, I showed them my love. And yes, says Jesus, that's great. But was there ever a time you helped them connect the dots that you knew me and you wanted them to know me and that you love them because I loved you first? Um, Nope. No time. And Jesus might say, I was very, very generous with you while you were on earth. I blessed you a lot. Did you ever say that I was the source of your blessings? 
Did you ever over a coffee, during a meal, during a walk on the beach, share how I died for you and I was tortured for you and I was whipped and stabbed and nailed and bled for you? And I also did that, those things for your friends and for your neighbors and for your colleagues and for your classmates. Did you ever tell them? And we might say, well, I was kind of busy. You know, I was building my business and my family. I was trying to get good grades. Not my thing. Not my thing. And Jesus might say, but it was your thing. At the moment you became a Christian, it was your thing. It was the end game. I told you, go into the world and make disciples. I said, make followers of me. If you had a human friend who was tortured for you and gave his life for you, would you just say, oh, that's Joe, my friend? Wouldn't you say a bit more? Yesterday, Jesus would say, your state honored POWs at Punchbowl Cemetery who have been jailed and tortured like your own church members, Jerry Coffey and Jim Higgerson. Wouldn't you want to honor me to a friend someday to mention what I've done for you just as your human friends have been honored? Or is your faith just a private matter? I believe that God, that Jesus does want us to love people. He does want us to heal and help people, like we should help the poor and children who are poor. But as the Compassion International slogan says, we release children from poverty in Jesus' name. That's on our mural in the hallway. We don't do it under our own power or for our own glory, so our name looks good. We do it in Jesus' name. We do it out of our love for Jesus, and we do it because of Jesus, and we do it because he released us from a poverty of mind and life. And part of everyday evangelism is to help people connect the dots. Let them know about Jesus in a nice, appropriate way. Honor him. Make it a life goal. So the last point is this. We're supposed to be teeming with Jesus in this. Teeming with God the Almighty. So here's a metaphor. Imagine one day during a basketball game, the great basketball player, LeBron James, sees us in the stands and he goes up to us and says, will you join me on the court? And we freak out like we're teaming with a superstar And I would be saying, yeah, but I'm only 5'5", you know? I mean, you really want me on this team? You're going to lose. But LeBron says, just get the ball to me. When you get the ball, just pass it to me every time. And I'm going to do the rest, and I'll get it into the basket. And that is basically what the church does on Monday. We pass the ball to Jesus, and he scores, or the metaphor is we pass our friends to Jesus that they might know him, and that he does the rest. In our Bible passage, Jesus is 
healing this person and that person, a girl who is dead, a woman who's bleeding, two blind men, a paralytic, and Jesus is fellowshipping with sinners, hoping to show them he is God. And it all points to this, what we followers of Jesus are supposed to be doing, getting people to realize that Jesus is God. We should be hanging out with people who don't attend our church, hanging out with sinners like us, healing people when asked for healing, and in a gentle, appropriate way, telling them about Christ, bringing them maybe to an alpha course or to a worship service or a men's sports day or a women's event, or telling them about divorce care or grief share, if that applies. Little ways of getting them closer to Christ. And there are a lot of our friends and strangers who need to hear about the Lord. We need to take the next step and go from the red zone of a football field, which is 30 yards close to the goal, to the end zone and pray and hope people come to Christ and believe in him. From the red zone to the end zone. God is so generous with us. And we need to tell people that he is the source of our generosity. A generosity that is quite supernatural of how we give of our time, talent, and yes, our treasure. As Jesus describes it in the end of our passage, in his most profound challenge, he says the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And then he adds, so ask God to send out more workers into his harvest field. So friends, the need is great. But the workers, the evangelists are few. And today, I'm asking God to send out more laborers for the Monday after church. It's Jesus' words, not mine. People would love to hear about Jesus in a kind and gentle way, but it won't happen if you don't do it. And God has gifted you in so many superhero ways. And there are many people in pain who need to hear about Jesus so they can start dealing with the hell here on earth and later hope in the heaven that Jesus offers. Jesus needs you to join him in the game or in the battle to fight evil in his name, to fight poverty in his name, to give people hope in his name that they may know Jesus. For then he will call you Marvelous, for that is the real end game. It is to get them to Jesus, for the harvest is plentiful, and the laborers are few. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Come, Holy Spirit, come. And may we just have a moment of silence as we just talk to you, Lord, of our response to this message, of what you might be asking us to do, any course correction in our lives. Lord, I pray that we will always have a prayerful attitude 
that we would always be saying, Lord, I do want a team with you, and whatever you ask of me, here I am. Here I am. And Lord, as a community, we now stand and sing this truth to you. Amen. Well, I pray today that you felt the presence of God uh, during this worship service. And some of you may want more of God, which is great. And we want to offer you a time of prayer. And so after we conclude, if you do want some prayer for something physical or emotional or spiritual, our prayer team will be um, near the palm tree uh, behind uh, where the orchestra was set up and then also in front of the cross over here. And now receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and his countenance be upon you. And may you know deep in your heart the wonderful love and grace and mercy of God, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And may you always be there to answer the call and say, here I am when the Lord speaks to you. In Christ's name, amen. God bless. See you next week. Great movies are ultimately great stories. And we get excited to share them with our friends and family that hasn't yet seen the movie. All the more we should share with them the greatest story ever told. God sent Jesus to die on the cross for us all. If you'd like to hear this sermon again, you can listen to and download this and other sermons from the First Pres website, fpchawaii.org. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Join us at one of our worship services on campus at 45550 Kiona Ole Road, Kaneohe, Hawaii, 96744. We meet Sunday mornings at 8, 930, and 1111. Follow First Prez on Twitter and Facebook. Download the First Prez app. Watch First Prez sermon videos on our website and on Facebook. And if you need more, you can call us at 808-532-1111. For Pastor Dan Chun and the entire staff at First Prez, I'm Michael Shishido. Until next time, God bless you and thank you for listening. This sermon podcast is copyright 2019 and produced by the Media Ministry of First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu at Ko'olau.